Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. The other uh, two possibilities for why I'm dressed like this, I I thought of these. Um, One is that I've been hired as the new Iron Man, and I'm waiting on the rest of my outfit, so that's one. Uh, The other one is, thank you very much. It's so hot that I will do anything to wear shorts, so this is just an excuse. Um, but I did, a minute ago, I heard, I heard a little child making that noise that we know, a little baby, that uh, noise. That is exactly how I felt all week, having to sit down and not run around. I told Jane, I'm like, I'm going crazy. I just, I want to do something. So baby, wherever you are, I feel your pain, you know, so. Um, well, today, um, I will be sharing with you from a, from a seated position and the, the real trick for me is as much as I move when I preach, not to fall off this chair. So I'm going to do my best to do that. Um, and I want to start off with, with a statement that we're all very familiar with. And it is that it is, um, it is incredibly common in our world for us as earth people to come to believe some very wrong things about God. Um, it happens all the time. Um, You all know this. I mean, if you look around just at world religions in our world, there are people out there who are trying to do some form of worship with some really messed up uh, ideas about who God is. Um, You you hear this in conversation with people all the time as they talk about, is there a God? Is there not a God? This is what this God is like. But even among Christians, sometimes we we really miss it it when it comes to who God is. And it happens for a lot of different reasons in our lives. But I will tell you this, there is always one source that is behind it. And all we have to do is go back to the very beginning of, uh, of creation, um, to the Garden of Eden. And as you all know, the Garden of Eden was a perfect place. Um, it was idyllic, it was lush, it was fertile. And there in the Garden of Eden is this, this beautiful woman, Eve, and she has been made in the image of God. And it's not just that she's made in the image of God, she is in a perfect relationship with God. And so there is Eve, and together with her husband, Adam, they are, they literally are the king and the queen of creation. Um, God has, has given them the right and the mandate to rule over everything he's created. And so there they are. God has blessed them. He has lavished his love on them. And, and Adam and Eve, they're absolutely set for life. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue that looking at Genesis 1 and 2. But then along comes Genesis 3, um, particularly verse 15, where um, someone else shows up, and it is the serpent and and. So it's, it's Satan, I guess, in the form of a certain serpent here. And he slides up to Eve and he asks her the question. Now, here is the question. The question is, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve replies back, trying to straighten out the situation, correct a little misinformation. No, that's not what God said, she, she replies God said, you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden or touch it or you will die. Now, right off the bat, if you look at scripture, Eve's Eve's already wandering a little bit. That's not exactly what God has said, but she she tries her best. And then then the serpent answers back, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. 
God just knows that when you eat from the tree of the garden of Eden, in the middle of the garden, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be like him. And God doesn't want that. Folks, there you have it. That is Satan's overall strategy for all of humanity for all time. It's been revealed. And y'all, this is, this is a one-size-fits-all plan for every human being that is, was, or ever will be. And it is to make us question, to make us doubt, to make us disbelieve who our God is. It, 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 it's so, we, we, we lose sight of the power and the presence and the purpose of God. And what's so scary about the Garden of Eden is that it happens to Eve in the very best of circumstances. Circumstances don't get any better than the Garden of Eden for humanity, and she just slipped into it. But how much more tempting is it when, when seas get rough in our life? Wheels fall off. I mean, hard times come. And so that's why I thank God today for the passage we're going to look at. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it is King David's masterpiece. It's Psalm 139. And this is where, if we have ears to hear today, everything about God comes back into perfect alignment and we really get set free. So let me pray for us real quick. Just pray over this word. And then we're going to dive in and all the waters are good in this passage, okay? Father God, we thank you for the power of your word today. Oh, Lord, we thank you that the word of God is active and living. Lord, it is able not only to, to, to cut through joint and marrow to the very heart of us. Father, your word is able to correct us, to, to bring us back into green pastures of belief and faith and life and goodness and love and power. And so, Father, we want to have ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, Psalm 139, all right, here it is. It is a poetic masterpiece. Um, it has been called a lot of other things that they're just all these glorious glowing terms, but I want you to understand what Psalm 139 is. This is actually a revelation, okay? David, King David, has had a personal revelation of who God is. And so what he's doing in Psalm 139 is this is a man who has just glimpsed a side of God people don't usually see, and he is reeling from the experience. He is overflowing like a fountain, and, and we really don't know how, Dave, how this happened to David. I mean, maybe he was reading the Word of God. Um, maybe David was in prayer. Maybe he had like this aha moment. Um, maybe this was just an, an absolute vision, but David has had his mind blown. And what he writes to us, it is divine insight, and it's absolutely powerful. So let me give you the first six verses here, okay? Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. Now, 
let me go ahead and introduce you to our word today, okay? Um, our word is actually not a word, it's a prefix, and it's probably up on the screen behind me. It is omni, okay? So we're going to learn all about omni today. I am not talking about the hotel chain. Um, I am not talking about the arena in Atlanta where they used to do wrestling or wrestling. I'm not talking about one of the worst production cars ever that Dodge made. Uh, Omni is a, a Latin prefix and it means all, okay? And because it's a Latin prefix, it's, act, it's actually not found in our Bibles. And yet this word Omni, it is vital to our understanding of God. So are y'all ready? Okay, here we go. All right, so David begins, and what he's writing to us about is God's omni, uh, is, is uh, I'm sorry, omniscience. Now, omniscience is, is a theological term, and it means all-knowing. All right, so it means all-knowing. That is not to be confused with a know-it-all. Um, we all know what a know-it-all is. A know-it-all is somebody who has not been professionally trained on a subject, but they know all about a subject, okay? Or they weren't there when it happened, but they talk about it like they witnessed the whole thing. And I, I'm going to tell you this, uh, know-it-alls can be dangerous. Um, I had a friend who was a know-it-all once when it came to, to, to the medical world. Um, he had zero medical training. This dude gave out medical advice like he was Marcus Welby, MD. Well, Marcus Welby wasn't a real doctor. Like he was C. Everett Coop. He would just give out medical advice. But he stopped, believe it or not, he stopped being a know-it-all. And here's why. One day he gave a friend uh, medical advice. That medical advice landed his friend in the emergency room and it almost killed him. So my buddy stopped, be and the sad thing is he is a pastor, okay? But he stopped being a, 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 a know-it-all at that point. Um, but that's a know-it-all. Now what, what David is saying about God, it is the polar opposite, okay? He's saying the opposite thing about God. He's saying, God, when, when it comes to knowledge... You have all knowledge. And David starts with himself. He says, God, when it comes to me, you know me completely. Um, some of you have been in counseling before with, uh, you know, with, with a therapist, maybe spent years there, poured out your whole heart, your whole life. They still don't know the depths of you, okay? They never will. But look at what he says about God. You know me completely. You know what is inside, you know every action, you know every thought in my mind, you know every tendency, every predisposition I have, you know every mannerism. God, when, when words are being formed, they're, they're making their way to my tongue, you already know what they are. And so here is David, and he's had this revelation about the knowledge of God, the awareness of God, the understanding of God, the insight of God. And David's mind is just going, oh God, he's just lost in wonder over just God's omniscience. But see, that's not the most beautiful part of the first six verses. Listen to this. This is what blows David's mind in verse 5. He says, God, knowing everything about me. Okay, so God knowing the good, knowing the bad, knowing the ugly, knowing the sinful parts of me, knowing the unbelief, knowing the doubt in my life. You still hem me in from behind and before and you lay your hand on me. You know what that's code for in the Old Testament? God, here I am with all these missing, broken parts, all these shameful moments in my life. You still reach out with salvation and you still preserve my life. And David is rocked by this revelation 
of, the, of, of just the omniscience of God. And that's why it ends with God's such knowledge. This knowledge is too wonderful for me. It, it, it's too lofty for me to attain. So David's only gotten through one omni. And reading the passage, I just sit here and I think, David, are you going to make it to the end of this thing? He is, he is coming undone here. Verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So, we've already got omniscience. Now David switches gears to omnipresence. And, and omnipresence simply means that God is all present. Okay, first of all, that means God is everywhere at all times. You know, the, the verse that says, just like the Westminster Confession, God is spirit. God is everywhere at all times. There is nowhere that God is not. And I love, I love the little list that David generates. Uh, he just kind of runs through it, you know. Uh, right here, right now. Um, halfway around the globe. Up there in the sky. Even further, out there in outer space. Miles underneath the earth. Across the sea. At the in the depths of the sea, in broad daylight, in pitch darkness. Are you in all of those places, God? Yes, there, 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 there. I know it sounds like Dr. Seuss. All of those places everywhere that you and I call there, God is there. And that's why in Scripture, by the way, when, when you hear God say to someone like, and this is one of the most often repeated phrases, I am with you. Has anyone ever noticed? That appears a few times in Scripture, right? Over and over, I'm with you. I'll be with you. Lo, I'm with you. That's why God can say that. Because he's, he's omnipresent. He is with us. Um, because he is omnipresent, God, in a very real sense, can't not be with us. And here's the second part of this. When God says, I am with you, every part of God is present wherever he is. Now, that should give you some comfort, okay? So that, what that means is it's not like God's power is here in this moment, but his love is on a train and it'll catch up later on, all right? What that means is God didn't show up in wrath without showing up in mercy and forgiveness. All of God is present. And I tell you one thing, that means two things for us. Number one, it means this. We cannot run away from God. There, there, there's no way. We cannot, as human beings, run away from the presence of God. Because anywhere we would try to hide, God, God is already there. And even if you could pull that off, the first omni messes that up even worse. Because God is omniscient, he'd know where you're hiding anyway, so it wouldn't work. So the lesson is, never play hide-and-seek with God. You will lose every time. You got no chance, all right? Um, uh, David says this in verse 9. Even 
if I rise on the wings of the dawn and went to the far side of the sea. David's kind of, kind of, this is David's one scientific, uh, science fiction moment in the Old Testament. That's code for David saying, look, even if somehow I could work it out and, and just as dawn breaks, I got up and I caught a, 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 a ray of light as it shot across the earth at warp speed, I'd be in your presence the whole time, God. That's incredible who our God is. So we can't hide from God, but it means something else to us. It also means we are never alone. Guys, you and I are never alone. Verse 10, no matter where I am, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. And um, you remember the lay your hand on me and you hem me in. That's that personal salvation, the loving presence of God. He's saying the same thing is true with, uh, when, when it comes to omnipresence. God, it's not just that you're there, but you're there loving, you're there guiding, you're there holding me. And I tell you one thing, that is so comforting if you have a prodigal child right now. You know, if, if you have a wayward spouse, if you've got a, a friend who's lost that you've been praying for, Guys, the truth of it is they cannot outrun God any more than we can outrun our shadow. They can't do it. So keep praying, keep believing, keep serving them, keep loving them because there is nowhere that God is not. That's a confidence we get from the omnipresence of God. And David is, is perhaps asking the question himself as he goes on. Maybe he's answering an objection um, but, but here's a possible objection to this. Well, then, then how about in the womb, you know? Um, you know, how about before we enter the earth? Is God even there? Well, that's a great question. So here we go. Verses 13 through 16. For you, O Lord, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we have omniscience, we have omnipresence, and now David ends his revelation with a, it, it's kind of an omni-combo, okay? Um, David here is speaking about omnipotence and omnificence, okay? So these are two coming together. Uh, omnipotent means all-powerful. I think most of us knew that. Omnificence means unlimited creative power, all right? That, that's what he's talking about. All-powerful means this. There is nothing that God can't do. And I know philosophers come back with the age-old question, well, is, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Here's the answer to that question. The answer is no, and I'm going to tell you why. Because that is dumb, all right? God is not dumb. So, so look, the point is this. There is the word impossible it doesn't apply to God in any way. And I know like philosophers will argue, yes, but that's a paradox, a rock so big. And look, God exists outside of our paradoxes like he exists outside of time. Impossible does not apply to God. And, and unlimited in creative power means that God created everything. 
And so here when David reflects, he's saying, look, this all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God, he is absolutely there in the womb at conception. As, as, as a fetus grows into a baby, he is there. And I love David's imagery. You know, he's like a little old grandmother. He's just knitting every part of us together. Listen, when it comes to who we are and how we are, there is nothing that is accidental, coincidental. Every single thing about us was knit by the God of the universe. And that's why David says, I I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want to speak to you as a pastor for a minute. I know every single one of us in this room, we get down on ourselves from time to time. It happens. You know, you have a bad day. Some of us a bad season. Some of us have made a habit of running ourselves down. Well, I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. Well, so-and-so's got more of this than, than I do. Today, hear the word of God. Get a fresh revelation from heaven, from your creator. You are awesome because he made you. You are wonderfully and fearfully and beautifully made. Hear that in the depths of yourself if you struggle with who you are. Amen. Hey, here's a question. Okay, has this ever happened to anybody? All right. Have you ever... Gosh, please tell me this isn't only me. Have you ever, you know, we look in a mirror like we spend half of our lives seeing ourselves in a mirror. Have you ever looked in a mirror and just suddenly you see something you never saw before and you get dumbstruck? You just get awestruck in, in, in just this moment. And what hits you is that, oh my gosh, I'm unique. I'm complex. I, I'm a mystery. You, you just kind of see yourself in a flash and it's not just the same old you looking back. You know what that is? That's not vanity. That is verse 14. That is a holy moment when it strikes you how unique and complex and that you're a wonderful creation of God. That's what's happening to David here. Oh God, you formed me into this person inside my mother. You ordained and planned every day of my life. I am wonderful because the fingerprints on my DNA are yours. And so, so David ends awestruck with all of this. You know, the uh, omniscience, the, the uh, omnipresence, the omnipotence, the uh, omnificence of God. And in verse 17, he kind of wraps up the revelation with these, these words. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they'd outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. And that's just David ending all of this revelation with God, just breathlessly praising God for just, just the wonder and the glory and the majesty and everything that makes God God. So that ends his revelation. Now, as uh, there's still a little bit of 139 left. Um, so now we get to David's reaction, okay? On Psalm 139, David kind of responds to, to this revelation. And it's really interesting. The way David responds to everything he's seen, it is a mixture of both spirit and flesh. All right, listen to this. If only you, God, and this is in light of everything, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you, God, with evil intent. 
Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's what just happened, okay? Psalm 139. David, David has, you know, gone through all the omnis. He's had an incredibly personal and real awakening to God uh, and to his awesome God. And what it does on the spiritual side, and this is really good, is it fires David up spiritually. What David is saying here in these first few verses is, God, in light of who you are, it is so wrong for anybody to misuse your name. It it is so wrong for for anybody to misspeak about you. It is so sinister and so wicked for anyone to hate you, for anyone to be an enemy to you, for anyone to rebel against you. And you know what? David is absolutely right. He's seen, just in, in, in the image of his God, he realizes all of this out there is wrong. It started at the Garden of Eden. It's still here in the present day. It is wrong. There is one kingdom. There is one all-powerful, all-present, all-wise, creative, creative God, and he is to be worshipped. He's to be adored. He's to be obeyed. He's to be followed. His kingdom is to, to, is to consume every person. His love is all that matters, that, that every living thing is loved by him and loved him back. Anything else besides worship when it comes to this God is wrong. It is dead wrong. And David's got that right. What a beautiful revelation. You know, it's like when many of us got saved, you know, we're bopping along, doing our thing, enjoying life. Sin is fun for a season. We're enjoying it. Suddenly, we run into the living Jesus, right? Whether someone witnesses or we're reading Scripture, suddenly Jesus is before us in a real way. What's the first thing we realize? How wrong our lives have been. How black this thing called sin is. How deadly it is. This is what David is realizing. What started in the Garden of Eden is wrong. And so so here is David and he's rising up in holy anger. And and just this righteous, right indignation. But as the ink dries on his last statement, David suddenly shifts from being aware in a beautiful way of the presence of God and aware of all these enemies out there, suddenly David becomes aware of somebody else, himself. David realizes that, you know what, he's not a model of virtue either. Um, David is a man who has sinned, right? Um, A man who continues to sin. David has been on the wrong side of God before in in his life. And so what's hitting him here as he's, those enemies out there, as he's doing that, what hits him is suddenly humility. And David utters perhaps one of the most powerful lines of repentance in Scripture. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way. And and what that means is, is there any way, anything that offends you? Is there anything that is an offense to my brothers and sisters? Is there any way that, that I find myself an offender of the word of God? 
Look at that, Lord, and lead me in the everlasting way. And so what this is to say at, at, at the end of all of this is that on the one hand, there really are enemies of God out there. There really are. David is right. But at the same time, sometimes we are enemies of God. You know, even though we're in the army of God, even though we are soldiering for God, we step over enemy lines in our life all the time without a gun. We're not going to witness for Jesus. We're not going to spread the good news. We step over enemy lines. And so what David does here is that he ends this psalm by stepping back over the enemy line into God's territory. And by the way, David is over, he's standing over one of the most dangerous uh, enemy lines of all, and that is religiosity. And here's what religiosity is. It's when we rise up and, and we get to this place where we believe, we believe that we are the elite ones of God and everybody else out there who's not in here with us, they're all spiritual garbage. You know, we read about this in, in uh, Luke 18, 11. Y'all remember that? The, the Pharisee who is praying in the temple and utters the, I'm not gonna call it a famous prayer. It's an infamous prayer. He stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or like this tax collector. See, that's the line that David steps right back across. And so listen, going back to the top, okay? We have an enemy in Satan, and he wants to rob us of the head knowledge and the heart knowledge of God. And I'm going to tell you something about Satan. He's a liar. He comes in the beginning lying to Eve. He lies to, God, uh, to us, and, and he's a liar because our God is awesome. Our God is amazing. He is so worthy of our true devotion. What we have to understand, though, is true devotion it comes from the hearts and the lips of the humble. So God is always calling us to, to humility. Now, I got humbled last week. Um, Lucy and I needed to push her car because um, it conked out. Uh, so we're pushing her car, and my Achilles pops. And um, I've, I've never seen a human being spin like a top. I spun like a top, all right? So I go to, I go to the hospital, and um, I go to get an MRI, and, and when they're checking me in, they gave me something I've never seen before, and I'm wearing it right now. It's not the boot. They gave me a bracelet, all right? The bracelet says on it, it says fall risk, all right? And so, so what it does is it alerted all the medical staff, this dude is really unsteady on his feet. Um, I just got the crutches, and I, you know, I was even worse than I am now. So there's telling everybody, look, this guy is liable to fall at any moment. So I go, I take, get the MRI, still don't have the results yet. Go get the MRI, and as I'm, I'm leaving the hospital, I go to pull it off, and the Holy Spirit says, don't take it off. And I look down at it, and the Lord said, I just want you to remember this week as you preach about, the, about, about my glory and the potential fallenness of all of us. Steve, I want you to remember, you are always a spiritual fall risk. You know, at, at any moment in my life, okay, I, pastor, I'm sorry, this is true. As a pastor, I, I can easily fall for any sin you ever read of. You know, pride, anger, arrogance, hatred, lust, any of it. I am a spiritual fall risk. We all are. Yes, you are as well. And so here's the answer for that, okay, in our lives. The answer is for you and I to get lost 
in wonder over our God. It, it, it is to take not the Nesty Plunge, I mean the Greg Luganus, Olympic, you know, gainer spinning flip into the depths of the goodness of God in worship. It, it is to be people that are just so overwhelmed and so overflowing with the Spirit of God and the love of God. Just, just get lost in this God like David did who is so wonderful and so worthy. But I'll tell you this, there are times in life when you and I are going to feel unsteady. We really are. And it is very tempting in those moments to go the other way. Right now as a church, KPC, big transition time, okay? If I tried to, oh, it's not going to be that, that big a transition. That, I'd be trying to sell y'all soap or ice cubes. or something. It's going to be a big transition, big, big, big transition. There's no way of getting around that. What, what's, what's about to happen in the life of the church? It's big, it's new. I want to believe that it's going to be absolutely wonderful, and I do believe that of you and the leadership. It's going to be wonderful. But listen, during this time of everything's changing, we don't do so good in change as human beings. We don't. Let me find the person says, oh, I do change well. Let me hang out with you during the next big change. Let's see how it goes. We don't do it well. So let's be very careful in these times of change to do what David did. Now here's what David did. I'm going to show you practically. David at the end of Psalm 139, when he gets all jacked up over his enemies, here's what he's doing. All right, right here. This comes out those enemies, those people, those, that's the first thing that comes out when we get unsteady. What David does at the end of Psalm 139 is he, he invites four friends to come join this dude right here. He goes from accusation and blame to opening his hands in a posture of praise and prayer and worship. And KPC, that's what I invite you to do. Just Oh, let the love of God sweeten you like crazy and charge together into your future, which I'm telling you this, hope in a future, absolutely. But David has a choice to make here. God's not going to make the choice for him. David makes the right choice. As a church, go into this time that way. And if you think, well, I need a reminder, just go to Psalm 139. Oh, that's not Psalm 139. Uh, go to Psalm 139 and drink from the fire hose in Jesus' name. Sound good? Woo! Right on. All right. And Scott, I reminded myself of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you. Uh, pray for all of us and I'll give you uh, the one announcement about our meeting next week. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name. Oh, God, you're so good. And Lord, I thank you that you do have a hope and a future for your people. Lord, I, and, and God, we just acknowledge today we all get a little off track. It probably happened to most of us this morning. But you know what? That, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is you, your salvation, your love, your goodness, the promised land you have for all of us. And so God, we as a people just say yes in faith to who you are. And Lord, we thank you for that beautiful alignment of our hearts and our minds and our spirits to you as we behold you in your word and in prayer and in worship. Have your way. You have come to do beautiful things you say. So go ahead and do them here in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.